ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. When you live in the bush, the childcare options can be pretty thin on the ground. So I don't even know what the childcare options are in town um, in much detail because it's two hours away from us. Um, There is a daycare centre there, um, but I know the wait list is long um, to the point we didn't have a doctor in town. um, And when we did finally get a, well, sorry, a permanent doctor, we were serviced by locums, we finally got a permanent doctor um, with little kids and she couldn't get into the daycare to start with. So um, I know they struggle with it in town as well. Um, but for us, we're yeah, two hours from town on a station and um, our only options are um, either do it our- ourselves, um, pay someone privately um, if we're eligible for the in-home care program or uh, if you've got family or neighbours nearby that can help out. Hello, I'm Callie Buchanan. That's Kanamala Grazier Andrea McKenzie. When she tried to go back to work after having three children, she discovered just how inflexible the system can be for people on the land. When we first had kids, we had a really wonderful um, foreign worker who was doing her 88 days, uh, but just loved working with us and we really loved her as well. And so she stayed on and worked for us past her 88 days. But to be eligible as an educator in the in-home care system, you need to uh, be have either studied early childhood education or be studying. Um, but as a working holiday visa, she couldn't study remotely, um, which meant that she couldn't meet the criteria, even though she was um, absolutely beautiful with our kids. So we ended up covering that privately because we valued the, the quality that she was providing us with over trying to source someone else. Um, But it was a frustrating kind of loophole in the system that we couldn't um, get her on board. Um, And then we've just managed it ourselves. I took um, quite a lot of maternity leave um, and do a lot of the childcare myself. Um, And then at the moment I do um, a couple of days part-time work and we've had a station hand who's done a couple of days for us um, as as a private childcare service. So what has it meant for you and your career? Uh, It's definitely limited my options. Um, I I really love working outside the home um, and it's it has made it much more challenging and a lot of it I guess it's a lot of the burden is on me to find a system that works and to trust that the the person um, I've employed with no experience in childcare um, is going to do a good job with our children. But it does have lots of benefits too in the fact that I'm mostly in the house at the same time as whoever's looking after our children. So I get a really good opportunity to see what they're doing, to give them feedback about how we want it to work in our family um, and to be around and make sure that the kids are happy as well. Um, So there's definite pros and cons in terms of the kids' care. Um, But, yeah, it's it's put a lot of the, the work onto me to find an option that's going to give me the chance to do both. Roughly 9 million Australians, mainly in rural and remote areas, live in a childcare desert where there are three or more children for every available early childhood education spot. And that's according to a 2022 Mitchell Institute report. That's partly because, as the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission found, 
Childcare operators target the wealthiest suburbs in Australia's biggest cities. It's recommended government intervention to ensure supply in remote areas, an idea firmly backed by the advocacy group The Parenthood. It's just established a report telling the human stories behind the ACCC's findings, documenting the experiences of 166 families who've struggled and sacrificed to find childcare for their kids and exposing the federal policies that are failing them. Andrea McKenzie is one of them. She finds the system uniquely difficult to navigate when you're on the land. We are eligible for in-home care support, uh, but the reason we haven't accessed it at times is due to a lot of complexities in the system, um, one of which is predicting ag income. Um, it's, it's highly variable, which is why the tax department has options like averaging income over five years, but it does make it really hard to predict when you're trying to, to determine what you're eligible for in in-home care. Um, and the, the way the system works, there's around 15000 in fees that I worked out um, that the agency gets. Um, and so if you incorrectly estimate your income and you're not eligible for as much support as you thought, um, then you've potentially got to pay back. Um, and a worst case scenario, you, you pay, you're back to ground zero where you're privately funding your childcare, but then you've also got to pay back about 15000 in fees um, to the agency. So that's been the fence that I've kind of sat on to try and decide to look ahead and budget and un- know what we're going to do with different tax options and then try and determine if, if it's worth um, going through all of the paperwork and the complexity of the system plus potentially paying an extra 15000 if I get it wrong. Um, so it's it's just a really complicated system and I'm, I'm not totally sure why it needs to be so complicated. Um, I, I wonder if it has been set up to um, or originally might have been set up to accommodate some different um, situations. There's plenty of people I know in cities that need to use this service as well. Uh, but it just feels very non-ag specific. And I, I think that's that's where I think some of the biggest changes could be made to improve the system is to look at the different people that use this system and actually tailor it to those circumstances rather than this broad brush that's really complicated for everyone and probably isn't delivering for everyone. The Parenthood's Maddie Butler says there's clear evidence that the market is failing rural, regional and remote communities when even communities with sufficient demand for childcare services can't set them up. Well, I believe it's hard for them to have a service in the area, generally because the current policy settings don't make it easy for a service to come into an area. Um, The market is failing rural, regional and remote communities. And this is because long-term viability and profitability are just not deemed secure enough for a service to enter the market um, because demand can be reduced and shift significantly year to year. So, for example, a town might have 16 children who have demand for care, and yet that's not considered enough demand to render a service sustainable under the current policy setting. However, those 16 children have a legitimate need for early education and care. 
Um, and so then we're finding that parents, as you say, often mothers, are coming together and forming working groups where they're expending thousands of volunteer hours to try and establish and set up a service. And these parents and carers and community members often don't have any prior experience in policy or government relations or early childhood education. Um, they're forced to become experts uh, because they want a service in their area. Um, we don't believe that this burden should fall on the shoulders of parents and carers. Uh, we, this is why we believe the government needs to step in. Yes. Yeah, so what is it that the government can do to help communities in this position? Yes, well, we think that the government should adopt a market stewardship role. Um, the ACCC Childcare Inquiry September interim report has actually proposed that federal, state and territory governments consider a market stewardship role, which could include, and I quote, direct provision by government, end quote. Um, and look, the parenthood supports this recommendation so that governments can provide early learning access where the market cannot and will not. In similar to the way that um, primary and high school education are provided across the country. Have we heard any whispers from the government about whether this is something that they would consider, given that we have seen such a body of evidence now pointing to the market failures? Look, at this stage, I believe the government is waiting for the ACCC Childcare Inquiry and Productivity Commission Inquiry into Early Childhood Education and Care reports to be delivered and to review their recommendations. The Parenthood is um, optimistic that those recommendations are going to be bold and effective enough to um, improve accessibility to early childhood education and care across regional and rural and remote Australia. Um, but I do understand that we're waiting on those reports to come out by the end of this year for the ACCC and June next year for the Productivity Commission. Um, it's also just worth noting, though, that there can be no one-size-fits solution. There are really different challenges and experiences that families have across regional and rural and remote settings. Um, and as right now, the market is a one-size-fits-all. It just isn't applicable or appropriate across all of these different settings and communities and towns and areas. Um, so we do think as well that that is also why the government should adopt a market stewardship role and with community consultation, um, deliver solutions that really work for each area. Well, this is interesting because you look at like Kylie Jones in Central Australia yeah. and Kyla um, Broad, whose kids go to her mobile playgroup. Is this what you're kind of talking about here, that um, we've seen an innovative solution um, in Central Australia? There's no way that kids can go to regular childcare. That's just not feasible. Yeah. But we've got these, uh, you know, groups now establishing themselves to actually provide at least monthly playgroups. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. That's it. Um, as you say, in remote areas, it's not feasible for an early learning centre to be set up. Um, it could be 150 kilometres from the nearest family and there may only be four families. Um, so looking at different solutions as well, such as mobile early learning services, um, looking as well at more flexible in-home care as well um, and 
perhaps making the criteria for in-home care more flexible, but also more appropriate for rural and remote settings and for the kinds of people who can um, be registered under the in-home care um, setting as well we could, could really help those families, whereas in regional areas um, we can be setting up centres and services in each town to support the family's needs there. Yeah, it was striking to read the stories. It doesn't seem like, I mean, I know people who are annoyed with the system are more motivated to actually, um, you know, complete these kinds of surveys, but nobody seems to be satisfied with in-home care. It's very costly. It's difficult to accommodate mm-hmm. and provide board for people. It's inflexible. Only one family's child can be looked after by one, you know, early childhood educator. So where do you kind of see yeah. the issues with in-home care as it stands? Like, is it just an old policy that's not really fit for purpose now? Exactly. And I think this comes back to the same idea of it just being a one size fits all um, service that is then meant to just work for everybody across the country. And as our stories show, people have very different experiences when they're in different areas. Um, And I also don't want to say that all regional areas are the same or rural or remote areas as well. It really does depend on the actual local setting. Um, With in-home care, we're supportive of what the ICPA as well, the Isolated Children's and Parents Association, um, have said about making changes to in-home care just to really make it more appropriate and suitable for both rural and remote families um, and looking at whether they can expand the criteria so that more families are able to access it. Back in Kanamala, Andrea McKenzie has some suggestions for how the system could be improved. Well, I think some of the big things to consider is that um, in, in agriculture, most of us are running businesses ourselves. So we're used to employing people. We've got insurances. We run businesses. Um, so I, I think in some ways the agencies are there to provide that service. So they actually do the employing of the educators. But we're used to doing that sort of thing. So we can probably do that ourselves. The other side of the agencies, I think, is to try and provide a like commercial quality daycare service. But I haven't really seen that being achieved necessarily. I think the kids get um, quite good care, but I don't think the agencies are necessarily providing that value to justify all the fees in the background and having to go through, when you apply, you go through one organisation, you do Centrelink, then another organisation, and then the agency. And I don't think that's justified in terms of what we're seeing on the ground and the, and the service that that they're providing. Um, and we've also had some challenges with the the type of educators we can get. So understanding what educators are servicing each different um, type of situation. So for us, not being able to access a foreign worker if they can't study. So having links to, to visas to allow foreign workers that are providing childcare on farm to study education remotely. Um, and also for Queensland, um, a lot of school leavers are still 17, which um, means they're ineligible in the in-home care, um, in care system. So just looking at, at what educators are going to be supplying that system and making sure that it's it's easy for people to get educators. One of the, the roles of the agencies is to supply an educator, but in remote areas, we basically always supply our own because the agencies are based in large centres and they don't have contacts remotely. Um, so by and large, we source our own um, our own educators. <laughs> 